0: Kennesaw State University in Kennesaw, Georgia, Georgia
1: mm-hmm.
0: just north of Atlanta. Nice. Yeah. Well, I I went to a few different schools actually, because this is where, while well, I was telling you about my uh, my uh, how my baseball fandoms kind of interacted with one another mm-hmm. with this whole Tampa Montreal thing. Yeah. yeah I, I went those. to I went to film school in Orlando right out of high school and was down there for about a year or so, and that's where my Tampa <clears> fandom <throat> comes into play. What, uh,
1: what time period is this? Um, 2005. Okay, so back when there's still Devil Rays, green uniforms, is that that's still Lou Piniella, right? I think it was just
0: after Lou Piniella. Okay. They weren't the Rays yet.
1: Yeah, because... They were they still the Devil
0: Rays. Devil Rays under,
1: under Madden the first two years before they became the Rays, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: But, yeah, so uh, asking about... Kind of asking about that. Um, so this... April, I have plans, uh, assuming that we're not all dead by then, uh, to, I'm, I'm one of those baseball fans who wants, who has a checklist of every park to get to, and uh, Tropicana Field is kind of next on it, so I'm going to go down for like a mid-April series against the Blue Jays and have never been, so as someone ah. who was hanging out there in like 2005, like, are there parts of the trop that I should look forward to seeing that, so... that you can think of?
0: Sorry, I don't mean to jump there. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. What What, what are the other no, stages not, you have not, on that list? On. I'm curious. Just I just want to know what, what what others ones you have left before I oh, get into the Trop because that is oh, a, that is a thing. Yeah, it, we're we're getting toward
1: the end. I've got uh, nine to go. So, and that's assuming that baseball doesn't throw up you know another five new parks in between the time I managed to get it done. But um, it's going to be this year. It's going to be the Trop in April. And then both Houston and the Unnecessary New Rangers Park in midsummer, the best time to go to Texas. Definitely. And then beyond that, uh, the new Atlanta Park I've got to do, Denver, Seattle, Oakland. i um, forgetting one or two, I think. But those, uh, those are the ones at the top of my head. I've got like nine to go, I think, at this point.
0: Okay. I was mainly curious because, like, one, I have that same sort of goal, but I'm nowhere near along the line as you are in that. Like, I maybe have, like, five on my list so far mm-hmm. and have so many more that I have to get to. Um, and, two, I wanted to see if there was any other stadium that is, like, more of a beloved dump than the Trop <laughs> that was on that list. All because, right. the like, I am I – am, when I lived in Atlanta – um, which honestly, I haven't been to the SunTrust Park or whatever they're calling it now. I don't know the the dumb new company that's taking over the sponsorship up on that.
1: Horrific. Yeah,
0: it's, I think
1: they call it something. It, it's horrific, whatever it is.
0: Whatever. I that stadium will always be the thing that broke my baseball fandom in that city because of where they put that stadium at. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Like this is very meta for for me. Like as someone who lived in Atlanta for as long as I did and knows that city as well as I do, and like. They put that stadium in the worst possible place for the metro area. Yeah. So i God.
1: creating a stadium specifically to include as many white people
0: as possible is not the best baseball experience for you. You're saying Uh, uh, white Republicans. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Because they didn't want to go to the south side of town anymore. Mm hmm. Because the area around Turner Field was too dangerous. <laughs> you can't see the air quotes I'm making because uh-huh. my video feed isn't working, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard your voice, no problem. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Which which part of uh, the Olympic Park scared the rich white Republicans the most?
0: Um, I guess Hank Aaron Lane, <laughs> the uh-huh. the road that ran in front of the stadium. I don't know. Basically, like, yeah. Like I look, Atlanta has a long history of course as we know uh with race and that has continued (laughs) and it will probably continue for a long time to come just based off of how everything is stratified down there and you know i i i will say this whenever i left atlanta because i was living sort of near where the stadium is now and whenever i left there that area Cobb county right above um the city proper was definitely starting to get more diverse and was starting to get more of a like progressive outlook to it even though you had these backroom deals with the city of Marietta going on to get the stadium up there in the way that they did um but at the same time i know that there are like my my step grandparents are still up there in like Ackworth, Georgia being like well we're glad we moved up here cuz the south side just got too bad so yeah. well, okay rad Uh so yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't know that's a long diatribe about racial politics in georgia so
1: (laughs) quite all right that's that's uh you know that's the kind of random diatribe that i that i dig on this podcast honestly so uh there what what better way to transition into the open at that point right so there you go tune in for racial politics in georgia you are listening to the three strikes you're out podcast here on the out sports podcast network my name is ken schultz OutSports contributor, contributor to Baseball Prospectus and Cubs Den, and occasional purveyor of all that is silly and funny. This is episode number 17, the Chris Bryant episode, named after the Cubs' new leadoff hitter and someone who is still mercifully a Cub for this coming year, thank God. And the other voice you're hearing on the uh, Three Strikes You're Out podcast, episode number 17, is a familiar one. If any of you are tuned in to regulars uh, of the OutSports podcast network, every Thursday, The host of the LGBT in the Ring podcast, Brian Bell, has stepped out of the squared circle and stepped into the circle of baseball geekery, I guess I'm going to call it, for lack of a better thing to say in the moment. Uh, Brian is, of course, a fellow contributor to Outsports and a contributor to Paste Magazine, can be found on Twitter at WonderboyOTM, and his podcast Twitter account is at LGBTringpod. Brian, thank you for joining me.
0: No, thank you for having me. Like, like I said on my episode that dropped uh, the day that we're recording this, um, I am super excited to be on the show because I don't get a lot of chances to talk about baseball. I, being in Portland, I am. In, I know that there's like this big push in the city for trying to get a team at, at some point, but there's really not a ton of people that I am around here that I can actually talk baseball with. And a lot of my friends back home in Atlanta that like to talk baseball are insufferable Braves fans who make <laughs> fun of me. So. <laughs>
1: Honestly, the, the concept of insufferable Braves fan to me is is I, I can't even picture in my mind. Like, uh, like do they go back to, you know, the the years of like the ODB McDowell era where 5,000 people used to show up to Fulton County Stadium? Or, <laughs> or are they insufferable just because they're really happy about their one world series they won 25 years ago at this point.
0: Let's just say that 15 division championships in a row goes a long way to blow your head up a little bit.
1: I, yeah, I could understand that. Certainly it's uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, and an era like few others, but also an era that's kind of known for the fact that they didn't close the deal in every year, but one. Uh, so oh. it's, it, it, it's like, yeah. if, if you took like a Yankee or Cardinal fan, but only had them win once, but still kind of had that inflated sense of self-worth and self-importance, is that what
0: you're kind of conveying? Oh, totally. Nice. They hate whenever you bring up the one World Series win. <laughs> like they hate it. And I and I honestly like, I I try and keep that in my back pocket whenever I go back home, like just in case I need to use it. Because especially now that my team has a t- has more has the same amount of titles yeah. as they do, and I've been called. I have a very close friend back home who I used to do sports radio with when I was in college and he is constantly called me a contrarian for the team that I root for uh-huh. because like I'm from Georgia, I should root for the Georgia team. And I, I have my own path to who I like and I love that now we are tied.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that by your friend's logic, that means you're rooting for the wrong side in civil war too. So i there is also that, if we go back to to Georgia racial <laughs> politics for a second. Because <laughs> everything tied together into that in this podcast. It's going to be a fun episode. Uh, so naturally, uh, coming from LGBT in the ring, actually, and I listened to the first half of this week's Q&A podcast right before we started up here, and you dropped uh, a Steve Mongo McMichael reference in the middle of it. Oh, Arts. yes. Does my Chicagoan heart made of kielbasa makes it just soar in, into the stratosphere <laughs> any reference to mongo and the 85 bears and mongo at this point is also essentially a drunk texan so we're we're pretty close to to what we were talking about earlier with, with the worst part of atlanta but oh, uh i've got a, a quick mongo baseball story actually to drop on you for a second if, if you don't mind
0: i love any mongo story give it to me
1: yeah so back in 2001 um August of 2001, I went to a game early on at Wrigley Field. Uh, the Cubs that year were kind of a weird team. That They were, Sammy's, they were like, Sammy Sosa's best offensive year was 2001, which not a lot of people know because they assume it was the year he hit 66 and 98. But in 2001, like, he carried that team. Like, they were in first place until about mid-August, I think. Uh, and it was kind of it's exciting to watch. Like, people were legit into that team, mostly, again, because Sammy was – Unbelievable in in one of his greatest steroid enhanced years, uh, but toward like early August of two thousand one, you could see that okay things are starting to get a little hairy. Like this is where that familiar cub sense of yeah this feels a bit like the swoon might be setting in, and they were trying desperately to fight against that momentum. So they had they were like in first at that point by like just a game or two uh, in a game against the Rockies. And so this was a crucial, like, early August game. People were really excited, really into it. It was also super hot, like 95 degrees, one of those Chicago days where it just, like, sits in your sits in your chest and won't, won't get up. Um, and Angel Hernandez, who, as you know, is the worst, the worst umpire. Uh, <laughs> yes. Blew a call at the plate, called a Cub base runner out who would have scored either the tying or the go-ahead run. I forget which might have been the tying run and like uh, the sixth inning. So it was like one of those lots of tension in the park, worst umpire in baseball, visibly fucks up for everyone. So everyone in the park just lets him have it. And, and I am in the middle of it. I, I am pissed as hell. <laughs> so we get to the seventh inning stretch and the guest conductor for that night is our own Steve Mongo McMichael.
0: Yes.
1: This, I want to say this is either post-WCW era McMichael or pre-another wrestling? Because he had ballooned at this point. If it was, like,
0: if, if it was clearly, 2001, it would have been post-WCW. Because he was out of yeah. WCW around 2000.
1: So, yeah, because yeah. he was visibly not in wrestling shape. Unless you're talking about like maybe King Kong Bundy or One Man Gang or that that kind of character. But um, So Mongo, who at this took the microphone in one hand had a Gatorade cup in the other hand and Gatorade far and away has to be the worst example of false advertising I've ever seen in my life. Cause he was gone at that point, utterly wasted. And he slurs into the microphone, something like, Oh, look, before we go on there, the, need to let you know that, the, the, the no, we're not going to have a problem with this umpire. Mongo's going to have some speaks with him after the game. Some <laughs> speaks is the phrase he used. And I, I, I don't know, if that's an actual phrase or if that's just what entered his addled mind at that point. But Angel Hernandez looks up at the broadcast booth, staring daggers at Mongo. Mongo blows him a kiss and, like, leads the most hostile version of take me out to the Ball Game" I've ever heard in my life. And uh, apparently later on in that inning, like in the, the bottom of the seventh, as he's being interviewed on TV by Chip Carey, security shows up to the broadcast booth and informs him, that Steve McMichael, the seventh inning stretch guest conductor, has been ejected from the game, which is a baseball first, like not even Yuppie encountering Tommy Lasorda uh, can kind of compare to that to me that, that, uh, that Steve, still to this day, Steve McMichael Mongo is the only man who's ever gotten kicked out after singing, take me up the ball game, which was is is still a delightful memory in my baseball, like early twenties, I think. But Mm. that, 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 to me, sums up Mongo better than anything else uh, in his image in Chicago. I think he went on after that to coach in lingerie football or something like that, something very Mongo-ish.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right, honestly. And and honestly, that story, that that sounds like a very Mongo night. And I, it's only befitting of a man like Steve McMichael to have that sort of honor attached, <laughs> like alongside like his Super Bowl ring and his WCW United States Heavyweight Championship run. <laughs> And then I just have this like only person kicked out after seeing take me out to the ball game at yep. Wrigley.
1: Yeah, God, it, it, it sums up Mongo's entire public persona and most of his career, honestly. After after that, uh, so to I guess transition from that into into your baseball fandom. So you are uh, as as you said at the top uh, Nationals fan with a bit of Rays mixed in and and growing up Expos fan. Is is does that incorporate the entirety of it?
0: At this point, pretty, pretty much. I would say I had a rooting interest in Boston just because I like like underdogs, you know, mm-hmm. like who who didn't root for Boston during the that oh four title run there. And it was the hardest
1: that ever rooted for a non-cubs team in the postseason. Absolutely.
0: Exactly. And also another like Pedro is on that team and yeah. I will root for any team that Pedro plays for just based off of that connection to the the mid 90s expos that he has. That's, so, uh, yeah, do you remember Pedro
1: was. During the uh, World Series champagne celebration, where he gave a shout out to Montreal, right?
0: Am I remembering that? Yes, very, very vividly remember that. Yeah, he's like, just like covered in champagne, talking about how the, he shares this ring with the entire city of Montreal because of '94. Mm-hmm. Just breaking my heart. Yeah, like, I literally I rewatched that earlier today to get in kind of the mood for this, <laughs> and I'm like just weeping while I'm eating lunch.
1: Oh, God, <laughs> it's just yeah. like, too. like like it's, it's almost like, like what is the French word for mensch at that point because uh. that, that's at a time where everybody in baseball could not be abandoning that city quicker and and he was the one guy who was in a position to step up and say hey this was a legit good baseball city for a while and I have great memories there uh, and which it, it has to and to this day I'm sure endear him to the, the group of Expos fans who are still around and still trying to land a team.
0: Oh, I, it definitely has. Like, I, I don't know many Expos fans in person, really, just because, you know, being, like, the one Expos fan growing up in South Georgia, like, like I was. But every, like, like, fan board I go on or, like, at any time I'm around other Expos fans at, like, a ball game randomly, like, Pedro is at the top of that list. Pedro yeah. and Vlad Guerrero, I think, in terms of, like, the recent fandom, like, those are the two. Yeah. Uh, Every once in a while, you get, like, a rusty stop guy. Guys.
1: Absolutely. Skypoint. Does it kind of, uh, when you go on to Expos fan forums, does it kind of divide itself generationally like that? Where you've got, like, the Pedro Guerreros, who remember the the great Expos team in 94, and then the group toward the end. And then do you have, like, people arguing for, like, the supremacy of the Dawson, Reigns, Carter era as well
0: with that? From what I can tell, there's not a lot of stratification there. There's not a lot of division. It's just, it's not like this team, like the Carter-Dawson era was better than the the Pedro, Moises, um, Alou, Marquise Grissom, Larry Walker era. It's more so just like a celebration of like both of those eras kind of realizing that they had their shot and that it slipped through their fingertips. So, and, and like some of the more like, heartbreaking ways just like yeah. the kind of ways that never leave you there's mm-hmm. always a scar on your heart i am so. very
1: sure with that sensation yes yeah exactly yes the, the heartbreaking uh occasionally spend the end of a game weeping on your dad's shoulder for five minutes ways yeah yeah been there done that okay it's, definitely uh, yeah uh definitely. so let me ask since you kind of have made a reference to this Uh, How did you pick the Expos growing up uh, in Braves country like that?
0: So it's actually, it actually has a local tie into where I grew up, Uh, where I grew up in South Georgia is a little town called Moultrie. Um, And it's fine. If you've never heard of it, if anybody listening has never heard of it, you're probably all right. Um, Mm. But it's, it's a small town in South Georgia, sort of near Valdosta near the Florida line. Mm. And, down there Sound? at this point, sorry.
1: Uh, I was going to say it. It sounds like the kind of place that, like a Ray Stevens song, would be written about. Is, is oh, am totally. I hearing that right?
0: Oh yeah, no, my that's funny. You mentioned Ray Stevens. My dad was like a huge Ray Stevens fan. Whenever <laughs> I was a kid, like growing up, I grew up on Ray Stevens and Dolly Parton and comic oh, yeah. Willie. So I, like, that, that is that is
1: pure Georgia right there.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but at the time, this is before like the like the single A system had moved to like sort of larger small towns. You know, like you still could find like a random one in like just Bumfuck, Georgia or <laughs> Alabama or something. You know, and at this my, point, my final league team was the Bumfuck Renegades. Yeah. Oh yes, thumbs up. I <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but at the time in '92, uh, this. Town that was larger than mine, but close enough to mine to where we could go um, without like closer than Atlanta or some of that was uh, uh, Albany, Georgia. They got a a single A team, a low I think it was like low A ball. Mm. They were called the Albany Polecats. Oh, nice. Yes, I love it. I love a good minor league nickname. Yes. It's oh, there's just, it's beautiful. I, I think my favorite right now, there's a team, I don't know if they're baseball or hockey, but there's a team in Huntsville, Alabama called the Trash Pandas. <laughs> and I'm so into it. That or the Orlando Solar Bears in uh, the AHL. Nice. So good. I, I'm a of the Scranton Rumble Ponies, I think, is, is their current name right now, which I That's- have no
1: idea what it is, but I just kind of dig.
0: Yes. I think we can all agree, though. Fuck the New Orleans baby cakes. I have oh, no God. idea what the hell that is. <laughs> it anyway, can't help. something
1: that haunts your nightmares. I think.
0: Jesus Christ, that mascot is terrible. <laughs> uh, but but no, so like I left on the so the Polkats were a team like I, that was close by. They're like a forty-five minute drive away from where I lived, and you could go and like watch actual like pro, pro baseball, sort of like to me like that was pro baseball when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Because like they, I I. I like to play, but these dudes had like actual uniforms and they were like big and like they actually had teams were traveling to Albany to play them. And it was and uh, the YMCA that I went to um, in Moultrie, they kind of like to plan a lot of uh, trips to go to Polecats games for like the baseball teams that played there. Mm. So that was really the first time I went to one of those games. And it just turned out that in '92, and then later on again in '95, the Polecats were a affiliate of the Montreal Expos. Oh, nice. So um, I got to see a lot of the what would become that uh, late '90s into the early 2000s core of that team come through um, my little like slice of South Georgia. And oddly enough, like I got to see like Vlad Guerrero whenever oh, okay. he was just coming in and like Uget Urbina, Javier oh. Vasquez, Jose Vidro, like all I, these different players. I, I hope U,
1: Uget uh, left the machete at home when he went to to the polecats
0: To my knowledge, he did. That's I cool. never saw it.
1: <laughs> but... parts? I mean, it is a way to intimidate teams in the ninth inning. But uh, yeah, some umpires probably frown on that.
0: True. Although whenever you're playing a team from Memphis called the red sticks, most of the time, uh-huh. like, I don't, I don't know if you necessarily need the machete to intimidate that sort of thing, <laughs> but, but no, like it, it was really fun. Cause like, I got to latch onto these players that I had no idea the heights they would get to at, at some point. And then like, you know, cause there's always that time period where like you see somebody, you root for somebody. And then the team was gone by 95, 95 was the last season that Albany had like MLB affiliated, uh, minor league ball and with that some of those memories kind of went away of like exactly who i had seen until i got to see them like show up at the major league level i'm like oh i recognize that name i recognize this person like it was just really odd to see that connect back to my childhood in that way and you know i had i rooted for the expos once i realized who the polecats were associated with back in like 92 but it just didn't connect with me what, who I was seeing at that point and where they would go until much later on.
1: Yeah. And and what a, what a great way to get into a major league baseball team by by kind of seeing uh, some of these, you know, one hall of famer and several stars at kind of their, their career births that way. And then being able to kind of see them reach their apex once they get to the big leagues. And yeah, hearing that story uh, from you, I mean, just kind of makes me think that, yeah, it's almost like getting rid of 40 of those minor, 42 of those minor league teams is kind of a bad idea for building fan bases down the road. Like, oh, for, for wow. just throwing that out there.
0: Oh, no, it's definitely uh, more than kind of a bad idea. Yeah. That is definitely a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of idea that
1: happens when you have a commissioner who hates the sport, which you, oh, you think would be kind of a disqualifier, but it's baseball, so of course not. It's uh, it. it, it let me let me uh, kind of cross promote our, our podcast again. Watching the way Rob Manfred runs baseball, do you get kind of Vince McMahon like late career Vince McMahon running WWE vibes
0: from him? It is so funny that you bring this up today because I I, I, I saw a tweet earlier. That, oh my god! That, yeah, something with the new pay per view. Yeah, so. I don't want to get into the whole thing here because I could probably spend the entire expanse of this podcast just bitching (laughs) about WWE's relationship with Saudi Arabia and taking Mm -hmm. blood money and all this other bullshit that's going on with that company. But it's very funny that you mentioned the correlation between Manfred and McMahon right now whenever at the actual show that they're having in Saudi Arabia today, they decided to um, make a very similar mistake in terms of like – booking and decision making that has basically been what has plagued them for the past like 10 to 15 years they just keep making the same mistake over and over again and just acting like everything is perfectly okay yep. and i think rob manfred has not had a lot a lot of time in the job right now but jesus christ does he want to make sure that everyone knows that the fire around him is not actually fire yeah
1: and, and if it's fire it's the player's fault
0: yeah, the players that he will not release names of. Right, right. And he won't punish.
1: Right, but uh, we'll we'll use it to try to split their union, so just in time for the next labor negotiation to take place. So, yeah, it's... it's. I mean, you talk about someone who kind of keeps making the same mistake over and over. You know, he's... A, Manfred's essentially a C-League carryover, so people who say that, yeah, I'd rather have C-League than Rob Manfred... I mean, I understand where the sentiment comes from, but uh, but also you really because that it, it's to me it's it's six of one half a dozen the other with uh just kind of the name the name and face changes but when you have you know 30 uninterrupted years practically at this point of a commissioner whose only priority is to try to break the union as much as possible and that's what happened I, I talked about this on the podcast last week actually that that's why you see Crises like steroids and now the sign stealing scandal blow up into these full flown conflagrations in front of them, which is a great English major word, and I hope you took note of that. But
0: oh, definitely, uh,
1: <laughs> Kenyan College, baby, it's got to <laughs> use it somewhere. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's it's almost the sense of I, I wish I knew what it felt like to have a commissioner who was actually leading the sport into the modern era, as opposed to. Just kind of concentrating the wishes of 30 billionaires uh, into his personhood, which is, I, I, I don't know if I'm phrasing it in, in exactly the right way, but I, I guess a commissioner who was in in front or at least with the times as opposed to someone who was always trying to catch up to that, if
0: that makes sense to you? No, it definitely does. And and the first name that popped in my head when we started talking about that was Adam Silver over in the mm-hmm. NBA. Adam Silver, I think, is the only commissioner that – I mean, there's definitely problems there. Um, but he's really the only one that I feel is actually pushing his sport into a new era of sorts. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, a lot of that is kind of just continuing some of the work that David Stern did, uh, RIP, before he ended up leaving. But – Yeah, like seeing that sort of stuff happen in the NBA and seeing how well it has worked to like bring that league to such new heights, and then seeing what (laughs) Manfred is doing, yeah, like it's it's just so frustrating to see because I I love the sport of baseball and I I it pains me to see like the viewership numbers and the attendance numbers just slowly creeping down to the point where you have people in the in MLS today saying that ten, for they, they think in 10 years the MLS is going to be bigger than the MLB. Yeah,
1: I saw that. And the MLS certainly is growing in popularity and seems to be expanding into more and newer markets. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also – I mean that's something that as a baseball fan and a baseball history nerd, people have been saying this about baseball as far back as there's been baseball, too. That that baseball has been it, you know, its glory days are past, and now it's being surpassed by you know football or basketball or MLS now. Or back in the day, horse racing was something people worried about taking away, like baseball fans from. So it's it's not going to kill the sport, but it, yeah, I, I think it certainly would be nice to get a sense that baseball is still going to be at the forefront uh, of of the sporting world. Because, yeah, you you always get that sense that uh, you talk about Adam Silver and David Stern. The one thing that they were really good at, both of them as commissioner of of the NBA, is getting people excited to watch their sport and to talk about their sport. And it seems like I, I can't honestly remember the last time baseball has had someone in charge of the game. I guess maybe Bart Giamatti for the eight months that he was in office before he died of a heart attack.
0: Mm, that's the name Uh, I haven't heard in a while
1: yeah (laughs) and and even he was like you know coming from academia so it's not like he could appeal to you know kids at that era raised on MTV or certainly kids right now raised on social media it's yeah baseball just doesn't have that that sense of of someone who's at the front of the game who is kind of like the almost the head, head cheerleader is not the job description but it should be part of what you're doing when you're
0: running a sport like that to me hmm And definitely in some ways. I think I think number one job, honestly, is uh don't bust the union. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. I'm I'm a very like pro workers' rights guy over here. Like, I'm definitely like DSA all day over here. So you will definitely get me to talk about some union busting bullshit coming out of that office right now. <laughs> yeah. Um But I think I think really I think the, the issue with Manfred is that and and I I think I compare it to Adam Silver because both of them are fairly young in their tenures, and they have both faced um, basically league breaking issues within those young tenures. You know, Adam Silver with the Don, the um, Donald Sterling stuff, mm-hmm. a few about like what like five six years ago at this point now, and then Manfred with the sign stealing scandal. And I think the response the responses you've seen from each is very telling of their approach to their league and their interactions with their owners. Right. You know, Silver just basically coming out and like, no, nah, you're banned, dude. Like, you are banned for life. Yeah. Like, And then Manfred out here just being like, well, we suspended AJ Hinch for a season. <laughs> That's cool.
1: Uh-huh.
0: We you gave did. the that assistant GM, like, show cause or something. Like, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. America is ready to descend on A.J. Hinch's palatial mansion with torches. So, yeah, it's good that Rob Manford was able to get out in front of that. Yes. Yeah. Mentioning Donald Sterling makes me think, like, I guess the last and really only successful time that baseball has managed to discipline an owner like that is probably Marge Schott from probably the early 90s, mid
0: 90s, I think, is when they were
1: finally able to kick her out after she praised Hitler for the 20th time, I guess. That was that was probably the breaking point.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Unfortunate uh, time. Other than that, baseball coming down on any owner, I can't really think of... I I guess... Oh, one example that just sprung to to mind uh, would be uh, Frank McCourt in L.A., who they managed uh, under C-League. They managed uh, to kind of get him out of baseball um, after a couple of years due to, I guess, a divorce that he was under, or a divorce he was going through. um, He was using a lot of money that would have been spent on the Dodgers to pay off his divorce settlements and fans stopped going to Dodger stadium. But the only reason that they got rid of him, and this is hundred percent true is because he was about to sign a below market TV deal with his cable, uh, the cable company that was going to televise Dodger games. And that's where baseball said, no, we shall not abide that, sir.
0: <laughs> How dare you devalue our television rights? Yes. So while you defraud that- your organization
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is the line that you cannot cross as a baseball owner that we've discovered so yeah uh so i after 10 minutes of this depressing topic uh (laughs) let me uh let me try to, to get us uh back to something a little happier um let me ask what was it like as an expos fan to finally see that the washington nationals win it all last year
0: oh my god um uh, world breaking in the best way possible. Yep, I, I guess I, I like we talked uh, with, like on Twitter DMs like that like during that game seven a little yes. bit and like you saw me I was just freaking oh, yeah. the fuck out. Um, <laughs> like I have not experienced that. Like, you have to understand um, something about the teams that I root for. I, I have I, not felt. I, I well, I take that I say this, but also like as a Cubs fan, you definitely know this pain. Oh yeah. Um, I root for many teams that have just failed me I mean, yep. my entire life. Yep. Um yeah. So whenever one finally breaks through and like there's just that moment to like just to latch on to and uh there there aren't words. There aren't words to that feeling. I literally they got like the game seven ended. I like fell into my partner's arms and just weeped on their shoulder. Yes. And like they and like they don't they do not give a fuck about sports. They do not care about base. I get them to watch wrestling every once in a while, whenever I can like twist their arm. But other stuff like I mean, I think the last time I got them to watch baseball was game seven with the Cubs and Indians. Cause like I really want I wanted to watch history be made. And I ended up convincing them to watch that with me because we were hanging out or whatever. Um, so for them to actually, like, humor me in that way, like, was amazing. And to be able to have them there to, like, fall into, like, their embrace and just, like, realize, have that moment just like, finally actually, like, re- like be a realization for me. <laughs> <It> was just, <laughs> God. Because, like, I have always watched baseball by myself. Like, it's it's been a thing where growing up in my family, like, my mom was, like, a Braves fan, and we would go to Braves games, and she had a crush on Javi Lopez, and it was cool, and that was fine. And and, and she would watch Braves games with me, but, like, World, World Series time coming around, whenever games would last up until, like, midnight East Coast time, I was up by myself, mm. always. Like, I was just by myself in my living room, and I distinctly have this memory of the 2001 World Series with the Diamondbacks and the Yankees whatever, Luis Gonzalez hits that blooper over um, second base and the Diamondbacks win that series, I literally am leaping in my living room at 12.30 a.m., screaming at the top of my lungs, and I just stop and look around and realize, Uh, oh, I'm just screaming at myself. (laughs) (laughs) So having them there, like having someone else there to just like hold on to in that moment, just like and ground myself was fucking outstanding. That and is, I'm sorry correct. if I'm just like rattling on no, right no.
1: <laughs> that's what I wanted yeah I, I wanted the visceral emotional response because yeah I mean hundred percent I that was also me in 2016 uh, except replace falling into your partner's arms weeping with collapsing in a hotel room in Dubuque, Iowa and gut sobbing for five minutes because uh, uh, sometimes a, a road comedian's lifestyle is amazing yeah oh.
0: Yeah, I love that Dubuque money.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. You, 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 <laughs> debuke, especially going up against Game 7. you got to take that. Uh, exactly. That's, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, 100%. That's um, when when the Cubs finally did it in, in 2016. Uh, there was that moment uh, watching it happen in real time where uh, as Bryant fielded the ball and threw it to Rizzo, I still remember and will always remember Joe Buck making the call of, The Cubs! And then there's a little pause in this call between the Cubs and the next part. And it's in that pause where I realized, holy shit, this is the World Series winning call. And that is when I, like, just every emotion in me just exploded. Uh, I remember leaping off of the bed and and jumping up and down for 30 seconds or a minute like Mr. Bean on Christmas morning. Uh, And then just at that point, I think when I saw the... uh, Cleveland progressive field, I guess it's called now, message board flashed, congratulations, Chicago Cubs, World Series champions. I think when that flashed on the board, that's when it hit home for me. And that's when, like, the past 37 years of watching Cub failure over and over and over again kind of welled up within. And, and, uh, yeah, I I just couldn't stand at that point. Like, I I hit the ground and, and just started... Weeping uncontrollably and repeating, "They did it! They did it! They did it!" And my—I remember my cell phone just blowing up over and over and over, text after text after text in my pocket, and just I—I I couldn't acknowledge it for three or four minutes because I, I was just in that that emotional, almost fever state. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm 100% with you there. Uh, like like that is exactly how I responded to an epic world series win like that. And it's great. Honestly, that you had that emotional release too.
0: No, I, I know. I wish any sports fan could feel that feeling. And I know there are plenty out there that do. Um, yeah. and none of them live in Boston or New York, but <laughs> cause you've all been spoiled. Sorry, not sorry. But, um, but like, <laughs> but no, like, like that, I don't know. Like that feeling was just, I could feel, Feel it happening, and and I'm very curious about about this as well because like uh, we talked whatever we talked about uh, the kind of the correlation between the Cubs and the, and the Nationals runs um, very shortly during that time span where I was just losing my fucking mind. Um, I told you like I had written off the Nationals halfway like probably the first third of the season. I'm just like oh great we're just gonna have, we lost Bryce, the team's middling in like all the like halfway through May. This is just going to be our life, like whatever. Like they're going to be like a 500 team, maybe like just under, and then that's going to be it. And then all of a sudden they just like turned it around, and like and I, like when I wasn't looking, they suddenly became like good. Yeah. And and I'm very curious if like how you viewed like the, the regular season in 2016 with the Cubs because like I from. From my recollection, a lot of people were looking at the Cubs as just this powerhouse that was ready just to mull everything down. Mm-hmm. But, like, there were some struggles in there. I didn't know, like, if the, how how the regular season came off to you in yeah. comparison. Uh,
1: yeah, it's definitely not that story. Uh, the the story of the Nationals last year is, is I mean, that's a, an historic run that they went on from, like, late May until winning the World Series. Like, anytime you're bringing in, like, the 1914 Miracle Braves into the conversation, you, you've uh, done something. Like, uh, yeah, so that that is a completely different, like, regular season saga. With the Cubs in 2016, it was one of the, it, like, maybe I can think of one other instance where a team in my lifetime, a Cub team, was hyped up to that extent as this could be the, the team that does it and was actually that great once the season started. Um, like... To me, well, the the story of the 2016 regular season was they got out to, I want to say it was like a 25-6 and record in their first 31 games. So for the first two months, maybe two and a half months, it was almost like, oh, my God, not only are they as great as we had hoped for and as it seemed like they were going to be after the incredible run they went on in 2015, like this could be like an historically great baseball team, not just an historically great Cubs team and then in mid to late june they got swept by the mets in a four game series at city field and the mets were the team that swept them out in 2015 and that scared the hell out of everybody who roots for this team because i mean all when you grew up as a cub fan you you know you got the scars that no matter how good they looked during the regular season there was always that moment, whether it's the 84 against the Padres, where they blew the two games to none lead and lost all three in San Diego with the ball going through Durham's legs, or whether it was 0-3, where it seemed like they had the rotation of our dreams, like our version of Koufax and Drysdale with Pryor and Wood and then Zambrano afterwards, only to go up 3-1 against the Marlins and then have that just rip, rip your soul out of your oh, mouth yeah. uh, to uh, get give us as, as graphic a description of, of that game six as possible. But that would, uh, but so getting swept by the Mets, that was almost like a sense of, okay. Yeah. I mean, you've been great so far, but like, this is what you do when you face a team with this kind of pitching. And so that uh, like the entire fan base lost confidence in, in them at that point for maybe a span of two weeks. And they went into the all-star break kind of reeling because they were playing like maybe 20 games in a row at that point, they were just dead tired. And then once they got out of the All-Star break, um, it was like they flipped the switch again. And like from the All-Star break through the end of the season, they were just rampaging through the, the sport. Um, and so going into the postseason then, it was like, okay, we have witnessed this 103-win championship team, this, this team of destiny, of dominance. But what that reminded everybody of, and it reminded me of, was the 2008 edition of the Cubs that were also— hyped going into the season and won, I think, 97 games that year. And then in the first round of the playoffs, uh, gave, Ryan Dempster gave up a grand slam in the fifth inning, and they never led again in that series and got swept out by the Dodgers and as kind of disgraceful and as ignominious a way as, as you can think of. So that's what everybody was scared of in, t- in 2016 was, okay, this is 103 wins, and this is an historically great team we've never seen before. Is this a tease? Like that, that was the fear. And so every series, there was a crisis point between the Giants in the first round, the Dodgers in the second, and of course, a little bit of a crisis in the World Series, if you might remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, But but that was the thing about that team is like, unlike every other Cub team that every single Cub fan had experienced, they looked that crisis in the eye and said, "Okay, yeah, bring it. We're still here. And that that's why they were the team to get it done. So that's a really long answer to your question. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was the feel of 2016 for me. Uh, uh, I got one for you then. Uh, oh, yeah. To kind of off that. So uh, outs- this is something that's kind of occurred to me over the past couple of weeks, thinking about the, the championship nationals from last year. Um, during the offseason, there's not been a lot of talk about them. And honestly, that might be a good thing, given the fact that most of the talk is focused on the Astros and the dastardly deeds that they've done and the Red Sox, but kind of, I think, and this is just my personal theory right now, but looking at 2019 in retrospect from like maybe 10 years down the road, outside of the 2016 Cubs, I think that the nationals last year are going to be viewed as the most historically significant champion of this past decade. And the reason I think that is because without those nationals coming back and winning those last two games in Houston and taking that series, At the time the Houston Astros scandal would have broken, you would have then had three consecutive champions who would have been tainted by a sign-stealing scandal like that. And at that point, as a baseball fan, you'd start thinking, uh, what team is legit right now? What champion does legitimately win it in, in modern baseball anymore? And I think the fact that the Nationals are able to kind of break that pattern and also pull off the greatest upset of the decade too in the World Series, I think that once baseball historians look back at this, I think they're going to properly give them their due. And do you get that sense that uh, that that might be? Am, am I kind of talking out my ass here, or or does that I make sense to you?
0: I don't think you're talking out of your ass because I feel like like especially now that I like sit and actually think about because I hadn't really made the the connection of like if Houston had won that series, that you have three years in a row of questionable outcomes in the World Series and. That is something that is very hard to come back from, even yeah. with Rob Manfred referring to the trophy as a piece of tin. <laughs> um, so, like, yes, in that instance, like, yes, I mean, personally, yes, of course, personally for me, the, Washington's win is the most, like, historical like, of, of the decade. But um, in outside of that, that personal bias, like, yes, like you put it that way. I think that you stayed it. it honestly, it could have saved baseball. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, because like if like I always go back to that 98 season and, and the subsequent years after that of where all the steroid stuff came out and like the blanket distrust in the sport that really permeated for a long time. And then even go back to like the 94 season, like um, where the whenever they had the strike and then they tried to come back in 95 and. You know, fans were not having it for the longest time until the Braves. Oddly enough, the Braves got hot. Yeah. Um. So, which that goes into one of my favorite uh, Greg Maddox story, unofficial Greg cool. Maddox stories that I've ever heard. I love um, Greg
1: stories. Tell, tell, uh, us,
0: please. Greg, Greg. Okay. I, as much as I don't like the Braves, Greg Maddox is like one of like my unofficial father figures in life, just because of like how. I love any person that knows their craft so well that they can sit down next to you and tell you how they're going to get you out and then go and fucking do it. Yes. And that yeah. is the epitome of Greg Maddox, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've i heard this story a few times, and I don't know how official it is, but in my brain, it's 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 canon, um, where basically Greg Maddox was like, For some reason, a Braves pitching coach, I can't remember which one it was, was like, for some reason, went out for a mountain visit with Greg Maddox. And if there's one thing you don't talk to Greg Maddox about is, like, how to pitch because he he knows better than any coach I think he's ever had. And whenever the guy came out there to try and talk to him about something, he just basically said, "Um, I'm Greg Maddox. Fuck you. <laughs> Go sit down. <laughs> I don't know how unofficial I don't know how official that is, but I, I as soon as I heard it, like it's something like both me and like my friends who are Brace fans just wanna put it on a t-shirt and just fucking sell that outside of Turner Field. Yes. Uh, before and like so like that to me, like I will love Greg Maddox till my dying day just for that like bit of of confidence and a little bit of hubris. Thrown in there, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: yeah it, uh, honestly, it's uh, Greg Maddox. Don't give a fuck. Like no. that, that was one of the best parts about him. It, like even, even like people telling him how great he was, he kind of didn't give a fuck about that. It, uh, it, yeah, that, yeah. Maddox. The Maddox stories I like are the ones that that just kind of give him almost that supernatural sixth sense that nobody else in baseball had. It's like the ones that you occasionally hear of, like uh, just. I forget who tells it, but one day in the dugout in like a spring training game, Maddox was watching a batter kind of set up for the next pitch and kind of knowing what the pitcher had to offer, uh, like nudged the guy sitting next to him and said, Oh, uh, watch out the first base coach might, I hope he's wearing a cup or something of, the, of that nature. And like the very next pitch, the batter smoked a line drive into the first base coach's gut. Just did <laughs> shit like that. Like, yeah, You'd love to hear how he figured that that part of the game out, but he doesn't tell it because I think he understands that's also part of the doesn't-give-a-fuck mystique, which yes. is, is also kind of cool about him.
0: Uh, uh, Greg Maddox, like, he's the one brave that I will go to the grave for. Yeah. Like, he is the one guy. Him and Mark Lemke, those are my two. <laughs> those are my two. As, as a second baseman growing up, I got to hold on to my second baseman from, yep. from my hometown team there. Um, um, but I, I, I say all that to say that, like, baseball has had these, these struggles in the past 20 to 30 years where they have definitely betrayed the trust of their fan base. And eventually you're not going to get that fan base back. Right. And so if you had had these three world series champions, um, win and then have this scandal, which has already rocked the sport as much as it has come out. Like, yeah, like I think that this would have been the breaking moment. This is whenever like that MLS prediction would have come true. Yeah. You know, I think that that would have made the sport go spiraling in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, um,
1: at that point, you don't have a champion that anybody remembers in in of recent vintage who is on the level, and that's kind of defeats the point of playing your sport. Honestly, at that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, if it, if your sport is devalued to the point where no one believes the outcome, then like, why why are you even playing?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, the Washington Nationals might just have saved baseball by winning those last two in Houston, which thank you, Max. Thank you, Stephen. honestly.
0: yes. from from all of the Natitude fan base here,, uh, you're welcome baseball. <laughs> no, that is, it, Houston, is that still a thing? I, for me, it is. I, I I think so every once in a while it still shows up there, but like that's just I, that's just it's corny as fuck, and I know it is, but I can't let go of it. It's just it's too good. <laughs> It's better than, like, I don't know. I, as much as I love Yuppie, it's better than Yuppie. Um So, like, I'll take it. Um, uh, but if they hadn't won the World Series, uh, the hashtag better than U.P." might have been a good marketing slogan this year. Oh, God. That would have been. Yeah. That would have been all over those shirts until Mike Fears opened <laughs> his mouth. Yeah. God. But, uh, so
1: if Yuppie if took on Screech the Eagle in a fight, who would win?
0: Oh, Yuppie.
1: Yes, I mean Yuppie... Yuppie Sorta.
0: Of. Yes, Yuppie is a as a mascot. Like I know, like the Philly fanatic gets all this um, hype for like being a mascot that does not like care who they mess with mm-hmm. and like and will like equal opportunity like f- fuck with you. <laughs> Yuppie literally like like we mentioned before on the show like yuppie is the only mascot to ever get kicked out of a game because they would not stop fucking with tommy lasorda yes. Yes. and i hold that as a badge of courage like <laughs> like a badge of honor as an expos fan to be like yeah our mascot is that kind of hardcore uh-huh. so like yuppie all day also just <laughs> like screech screech like i like screech how basic are you going to be for a team in DC? Like, we'll do the eagle right. as our that mascot. Doesn't like, doesn't offend anybody. Yeah, that's... exactly. Like, I I'm used to mascots that are like out there and dumb. Like, I grew up in Atlanta. I went to the Atlanta Olympics where we had Izzy, that oh, wow. weird like blue thing, that I had like a pin of at some point that I can't find anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm not like, used to that like that kind of weirdness in my mascot stuff. I like gr- that's why like gritty is like my new like hero in oh, the mascot gritty. world yeah like gritty is my boy now
1: yeah uh gritty gritty seems to like get it right just in terms of the tone of yes this is weird and kind of nightmare fuel but we're just gonna run with it to the fullest extent and yeah i, I love that they just decided yeah we're go we're go we're all in with this so exactly you, you're on board or you don't do you remember some of the uh, mascots the Braves the Braves used to pull in the early part of their Atlanta? Oh. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's look up uh, if you ever google Chief Nakahoma.
0: Like, oh, I, I am very familiar with Chief Nakahoma. <laughs> yeah.
1: Someone this thought it was a good idea.
0: Oh god. This is another like I hate the Tomahawk Chop. I hate um, the screaming uh, the screaming chief yeah. logo that the Braves used to have. There's so many things about the history of the Braves that I, I don't like the team just because of like personal reasons, like, t- like t- actual things with the team where like you had this inflated sense of self-worth with the fan base or, um, you know, there were like players that I just couldn't stand or something like that. And then you add in all of the other like racially insensitive stuff that that team has gone through mm-hmm. in the days in Atlanta. Like it is I'm so glad that they moved as far as they have, but Jesus, do they have further
1: to go? Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, as you say, surrounding them with the fan base that they have now is probably going to make it even more difficult to finally get beyond all of that shit. And it's weird when you think about it too, right? That, that they have this history of, of, you know, so many racist images and logos and mascots. And yet their greatest moment as a franchise is Henry Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's record. Uh, And kind of symbolizing that occasionally baseball can emerge – a great baseball legend can emerge victorious over the racial demons that plague the sport. And it's it's a very weird thing to work out in my mind that both of those things belong to the same team that
0: way. I mean that's one of the things about like – that is the epitome of growing up in the South in a lot of ways and what defines the South, especially the city of Atlanta where like – you know, that's the city where Martin Luther King's movement started, but it's also the city where, like, you know, that church still gets death threats to this day. Yeah, Ebenezer still gets death threats to this Jesus. day. So, like, it's one of those things where it, it is a bastion of progressivism, um, but at the same time, there are still forces within it that try to hold it down in, yeah. in, in what it used to be, and more and more, we are starting to move away from that, obviously, but, like, it, it's very fitting that, that that Henry Aaron broke that record playing for a team from Atlanta because it speaks exactly to what defines that city in a lot of ways. And and the sports too, to be honest, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh definitely. No, like I what was I gonna say? There's something there, but I forgot what I was gonna say. Never mind.
1: <laughs> I'll just nod at and uh, at the profundity of, of the thought, I think that works. Uh so the best way to uh, transition from that, let's do a promo for a second uh, before, yeah. we, before we get to your, your final favorite team, and then we'll sign off here. Uh, so uh, let me put on the big announcer voice and give me 20 seconds to read this, and we'll move into, into the race. So on this week's Sports Kiki, Out Sports Deputy Managing Editor Alex Reamer speaks with Casey Edenfield about his journey into adult film. The wild ride includes a major league dad, baseball recruiting trips and rampant homophobia. New episode is out on Saturday and I'm 90% sure I mispronounced his guest's name there. So (laughs) I am a professional at this, if nothing else. And, and really what, what better way to to move into the most professional of organizations, the Tampa Bay Rays for the final part of our discussion here. Um, And, I, I guess um, you mentioned at the at the top when we were talking briefly about Tropicana Field that it's a beloved dump. Uh, how beloved yes. is it? Let me ask. Start by asking
0: that. Okay, so I guess whenever I was down there, local to the team for like the year or so that I was in 2005, it definitely had much more of an appreciation I think than it does now. Mm. Um, mainly because I think there the fan base is still there. I feel like, but People were going to the games more whenever I whenever I lived down there. It was right before they had their like World Series run, um, right before Joe Madden became a household name. Our guy. Yep. And then like you had, and since he's left, like it's I know they had their their wild card run last year, but they've really like been just in flux for a number of years now at this point. And that has definitely impacted the fan base and and the attendance numbers. That, along with um, the last time I went to the TROP was in 2014, I want to say. I was down in Orlando on vacation, and I ended up going to, um, I think the Red Sox were in town. But I digress. I I went to the game, and the stadium, you ever been to – a, a really divey bar that decided to try and like revamp its look by just putting up a whole bunch of like promotional beer posters and stuff.
1: I work in standup comedy. That's pretty much my entire workplace.
0: Yes. There you go. That basically the, the Tampa Bay Rays have done the equivalent of that for a baseball stadium. <laughs> cause Holy like when shit. I, cause it's, like when the first time remember...
1: one nighter in spring Lake, Michigan, great.
0: Yes. <laughs> Because like wow. whenever I went to the Trop the first the first few times back in 05 it was definitely just more of just a concrete husk like here's <laughs> the stadium the walls are all concrete the floors are concrete we don't really have much to celebrate cuz the team's never really done anything but our color scheme is pretty cool and our logo's red and we have this uh tank of of devil rays out in the middle of center field so we have that going for us Buy a hot dog Buy a cuban sandwich <laughs> like that was basically the 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 extent of it and like I and I like it. I I am a fan of a good dive bar in yeah. that instance. So like the Trop is probably the most divey of the MLB stadiums that I've been to and I would imagine of all of the MLB stadiums in general um I granted I've never been to Olympic Stadium and I hear that's a pretty divey spot up in Montreal. Oh man. But <laughs> um but when I went back like the Rays had had some success. You know, they had made the World Series. They actually had people they could market before they let them go, like Evan Longoria. Mm-hmm. And so you had like a lot of just uh, like vinyl, like accoutrement put on the walls. That the walls weren't just straight up concrete anymore. Like it didn't feel like I was walking into a high school football stadium. Um, but it also felt like they just tried to do as much as they could on a shoestring budget to make the stadium look better. Mm-hmm. And it just did, it, it honestly, it played better when I knew what I was walking into. Yeah. Like whenever I was just like, okay, I, this is a, this is a dumpy place, but it's my dumpy place. Love you it. know?
1: So. Yeah. I love what you're describing because it reminds me of that episode of the Simpsons where Mo tries to turn his bar into a family restaurant. And <laughs> as he's announcing his plans, I forget if it's Lenny or Carl, the whoever seated at the bar, just, just protests. But Mo, the dank, Mo, the dank. <laughs> And that, that, yeah, that sounds like tropican- what you're describing. Tropicana Field's like to me, and and honestly, I'm kind of perversely excited to see it, just because so much of baseball now, uh, and understandably so, it, the experience is dedicated to these incredible new parks that tr- each one tries to outdo the other in terms of just being throwbacks to you know the glory years of baseball park construction and. And putting, you know, the San Francisco Park and McCovey Cove, well, okay, Pittsburgh goes on the river with the skyline view, each one trying to top each other for beauty. And I kind of like that there's still going to be like a couple parks you can compare to that have that mid-1980s just, as you say, concrete husk, presumably where dreams are made on. Uh, it's just dedicated to ugly. And I'm I'm kind of excited to see a park that's dedicated to ugly just because I'm you're not used to that anymore. I, I think that's kind of cool.
0: Oh no, I love it. There's a certain like there's just there's a certain fondness that I have that I think I share with you in that instance because like yeah, I, I'm you can throw all the bells and whistles at me, but honestly I go to a ballpark to watch a ball game. I don't necessarily need all of that extra junk. Like like I I always go back to Turner Field. It's like Turner Field is the the best stadium that I've been to. I mean it's also the stadium I've been to the most mm. in my lifetime. But Turner Field is just very straightforward or whenever it' it was in play. It was very straightforward. You just go there, you watch a game, you get a hot dog, you get a dumb $8 beer. You watch the tool race, the Home Depot (laughs) tool race, which I love. Like that is one of my favorite, like mid inning, dumb bullshit things in the world. Um, And then like you watch the ball game and there's not a bad, there wasn't a bad seat in Turner field at all. Like, Like, it was just a fun day at the ballpark and I didn't need to have like, you know, the giant scoreboards or all the like the interactivity and all this other stuff. And, like, I get that that pulls in new fans. And, honestly, it doesn't bother me that it's there. It's more so, like, how people get there. Like, how these yeah. owners get the money to do that sort of thing where they're bilking these, like, local governments and that sort of stuff. That gets really frustrating for me. Yeah. Um, especially whenever you can still cultivate a fan base around a concrete husk of a stadium like the <laughs> TROP. Because... Yeah. The people that go to raise games are they have to be passionate because, like, I don't know how you're still going to that to those games if you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those are my favorite kind of baseball fans,
1: the ones who are just that dedicated to the sports and that dedicated to their team. That's I, I like talking to those those baseball fans. It's it's kind of what this podcast is about.
0: Yeah, Exactly. I will say this, though. Um, uh, I am very curious to see if, whenever you go to the trop if you, during the game that you're at, you get a ball hit off of the scaffolding. Because mm-hmm. every time I've been to a game of the trop, a ball has hit the scaffolding. <laughs> so yeah, that,
1: that would be the total trop experience. So, yeah, I absolutely hope to see that, too. Exactly. I'm, I'm, the to- yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry, the total trop experience has to be like Austin Meadows getting up, hitting a home run, and having it hit that. And then like, they rule it out, and he has to come back. That's the <laughs> ultimate Trop experience right there yes.
1: yeah hmm. do you feel like with players like austin meadows uh and and nick anderson like I, I get the sense especially watching the rays in the playoffs last year that getting to be a tampa bay rays fan is almost like getting to be a baseball hipster where you get to see guys like that and say yeah i was way out in front of the rest of mlb and appreciating austin meadows for who he is or appreciating nick anderson's otherworldly strikeout rate like do you get to lord that over other
0: fans like that I there I'm sure there are some uh, myself included as someone who has constantly been the person like I saw Jose Vidro before Jose Vidro was cool. Mm-hmm. Um like yes there's definitely I think some element of that but the Rays as a team have kind of been baseball's hipster for almost their entire existence in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like you go back to those early double Rays teams like you had a lot of players that came through that system and kind of came came to prominence on that team that went on to have great careers in other places after like at a lot of ways similar to the expo like serving their time at like devil race university. Like <laughs> I look at people like Carl Crawford and you Evan Longoria and um, Chris Archer, like those players, like they coming up through the Tampa system, like they are people that made their name there enough to make it to make it to uh, more premier spots, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like Tampa fans knew how good these players were. Like they, we all knew how fast Carl Crawford was way before, like he was ever on the Red Sox, the Dodgers radar, you know? So it's like one of those things where you, it's almost built into the team in and of itself that you're going to have that element of like knowing somebody's good before other people think they're good.
1: Yeah. And that's exciting as a fan too, to, to kind of, to be rooting for a team that's good, but also to get that sense that you're in on something that the rest of baseball is only kind of vaguely aware of, like that—that that like add to me adds an extra level of almost like being one of—I I keep using the hipster, but you get to be one of the cool kids that way a little bit, uh, and that that makes yeah being a baseball fan and a Rays fan more exciting.
0: I mean it's really the only thing that Rays fans have had to latch on to yeah. at this point. It's just like yeah. we are a we are good at developing young guys. Which honestly it's also funny because Meadows is an Atlanta kid too. Hmm. So like I actually watched him play high school football against my alma mater in Georgia, like whatever like in like the mid two thousand the mid two thousand tens. So like Seeing him actually make it to a team where I have a chance to like root for him without having to apologize for it <laughs> like makes me happy in a lot of ways, even though his high school did beat my high school in the semifinals mm. that year. Terrible. That's,
1: that, that's that's you know it's, it's a different way, but that's kind of connecting to him in a similar way to the way that Albany connected you to the Expo stars of the 90s like that is, is, is what I'm hearing which again, I mean that's that's getting in on the ground floor and that can't help but be cool
0: there's a very odd synergy between all of my like baseball fandoms and like in a weird way like with Meadows being from Atlanta, ended up in Tampa. Tampa now talking about trying to split their like, right. season with Montreal in 2028, Meanwhile, Montreal is like trying to like, split their last two seasons in Puerto Rico, and I used to date a Puerto Rican. And then now... <laughs> <you know? laughs> so it's just like everything all comes together. And then it you, all ends up with like Juan Soto being the World Series hero. Yes, yeah, Scott, I haven't even talked about how awesome he is. Are, are you going
1: to tell me you're is his father? Because if we are, then that's going to synergize this entire podcast and that will make me very happy. No comment. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, uh, we, we, we can't leave this without mentioning how awesome Juan Soto is just in general too, that uh-huh. I, I'm so glad the world series exposed just not just how great he is, but how fun a player he is to the rest of the world. Like, like to me, uh, in, even outside of all the home runs he hits, like the ultimate Juan Soto image let that, was left with me in 2019 was him seeing Alex Bregman take his bat all the way to first base in a home run trot and thinking, you know what, that's fun. I'm going to do that too. And then homering later in the game and doing it just because it seemed like it was a fun thing to do in the moment like that. That's the best kind of baseball star to me. And if, if we had more guys like that, we wouldn't have to worry about MLS creeping up on us.
0: No, not at all. I, I love people who understand that it, you are playing a game. Yes. And I think that one of the most frustrating things about baseball, especially growing up in Braves country where this sort of like conservative mindset with the sport is is held. I mean, for God's sakes, I grew up like part of my growing up process of watching Brian McCann get in people's faces after he thought yep. that they took too long going around second base after hitting a homer, for God's sakes. I could give two yeah. fucks about what Brian McCann thinks <laughs> about how long somebody takes on the base pass after smacking it. Guess mm. what? That dude smacked it out. He deserves to have a celebration about it. I like I, I love South the South Korean league yep. because of how much fun they have with baseball, the Japanese league for how much fun they have with baseball. Why are we not allowing our players to have this much fun with a sport and just wanted to be like staunch, like clip on tie bullshit? Yeah. You know, like it's just it, I, I Juan Soto has been a breath of fresh air.
1: Yes. And and there are many more guys like him now that and Javi, first and foremost, with the Cubs is like that. Uh, you got Fernando Tatis Jr. with the Padres, so it's it's changing. It's just a matter of, of like everything in baseball that it it just takes time because it's it's baseball. But but it is there are are few things on Twitter that are more enjoyable than just to see somebody post, "Hey, South Korean backflip," and you you realize this is going to be a great twenty seconds you're about to watch. Uh,
0: so uh, anything uh, while I still got here, anything else you'd like to plug uh, while I still got here, Brian? Oh, plugs, plugs, plugs. Um, yes, I so follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. Definitely uh, read all of my writings about you know, pro wrestling and other LGBTQ sports stuff at OutSports. Uh, I write a lot about tech for Pace Magazine, a little bit about games there too. It's fun. Um, and then, of course, you follow my... Uh, the twitter account for my uh podcast here on the out podcast network lgbt in the ring that's uh at lgbt ring pod and then i also host uh a, a gaming news podcast every monday night 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m, 5 p.m. pacific um over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment sun like the star not like the child um <laughs> that's a
1: totally different search uh, there yeah
0: exactly um, so that that show, I do that with a couple of, of my good friends um, and fellow Twitch streamers, uh, Kite and Lady Maryland. Uh It's called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. It's a raucous two hours of me just, like all three of us just kind of like going off on the the week's gaming news and stuff like that. So I have my fingers in a lot of different pots here and there. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you put your finger in this one for an hour, which, boy, did that come out wrong. Okay.
0: It's all right. <laughs> Yeah. We're, all, we're all friends here. That's yes. that's what friends do.
1: Yes, we're open-minded. That's, that's it's the 21st <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're the uh, South yeah. Korean bat flip.
1: <laughs> that's my favorite position, the South Korean bat flip. Uh, yes. So, yeah, uh, honestly, Brian, it, uh, this has been an hour talking Expos, Nats, and Rays, and I don't get a chance to talk about any of those teams nearly enough. So this has been great. Thank you for stopping by.
0: No, thank you for having me, and I'm, I'll i come back any time. I'm always down to talk more.
1: <laughs> I'd be delighted to have you on. Your, your Twitter handle is Wonderboy. You,
0: sir, have been the
1: natural. How about that to end on?
0: Oh, you threw a Dustin Rhodes nickname on me, and I love it.